1: On Thursday afternoon, President Biden signed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan.
2: And I believe this is, and most people I think do as well, this historic legislation is about rebuilding the backbone of this country and giving people in this nation, working people, middle-class folks, uh, people who built the country a fighting chance. That's what the essence of it is.
1: The plan is one of the largest federal responses to an economic downturn that Congress has ever enacted. It aims to boost growth in 2021 to the highest level in decades, and its policies are designed to reduce the number of Americans living in poverty by a third. But with this bill, Biden faces a political risk. Only Democrats supported this bill in Congress, And some experts warn that all of this money could overheat the economy and lead to inflation down the road. Now, I know you've likely heard a lot about the relief bill by now. But there are three questions that I keep focusing on as I try to understand how Americans will be affected by these changes. First, is this enough money? Will middle- and low-income Americans feel their lives really change in tangible ways? And on the other hand, is it too much money? Will a super-fast-growing economy cause even bigger problems? And lastly, how might the Biden administration make sure Americans know that the government is responsible for some of the economic changes they experience? Are there lessons Biden can learn from the last time he helped pass a major stimulus as vice president back in 2009? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. Heather Long is The Post's economic correspondent, and she's been covering the details of this legislation as it's made its way through Congress. So I asked Heather to explain what proponents of the American Rescue Plan hope that this bill will accomplish.
2: The number one thing they hope it will accomplish is to help the U.S. economy survive these next few months until most of the population is fully vaccinated. I think a lot of people are very optimistic right now about where the economy and where life is headed as these vaccines roll out. But the reality is that sitting here in March 2021, there are still nearly 10 million people who lost a job a year ago and have not been able to get back to work. And that's a lot of pain. And so this number one thing this bill does is we call it a stimulus bill, but it's really a relief bill. The second thing it does is boost the economy. Economists now anticipate that this year could be the hottest year for the economy since 1984. And the last thing it does, which I think surprised a lot of people, but as you look into the details, is this is turning out to be one of the biggest anti-poverty efforts the government has done in decades.
1: So let's talk about what some of those policies actually look like. This is a huge bill and a lot of focus gets put on things like these $1,400 stimulus checks. But what are some more of the specifics of what is actually being delivered in this bill beyond stimulus checks?
2: Right. Yes, everyone is very focused on when those $1,400 checks are going to come out. But beyond that, what this bill does, based on our calculations, is over half the money, 54%, goes to individuals and households. So what I mean by that is in addition to the checks, there's also more unemployment insurance money that will last through Labor Day and provide an extra $300 a week for those people who are still unemployed. There's also special new tax credits, that really are targeted to low and moderate income families who've been so hard hit. So the biggest one that's getting a lot of buzz is this extended child tax credit, which will provide $3,000 for children ages 6 to 17 and $3,600 for really young children under age 6. And this is a refundable credit. What that means is for lower income families who don't actually owe the government any taxes, they would get a check back from the government for three. dollars thousand dollars or three thousand six hundred if they have young kids for people who don't have kids who are low income the bill extends the earned income tax credit to be a little bit more generous to those folks and for also for low-income families with kids the bill also extends the child and dependent care tax credit so families could get up to four thousand dollars to help offset child care expenses.
1: President Biden has said that he hopes this plan will ensure that jobs return swiftly. How does the bill work to do that? Well, it's pumping a
2: ton of money into the economy. The final tally is $1.86 trillion, to be exact, according to the Congressional Budget Office. And this is a massive boost. It's one of the largest stimulus package outside of the one we saw a year ago in the depths of the crisis. And a lot of this money is going to pour out within the next three to four months, which is very different from our response to the Great Recession, where we only put a much smaller number into the economy and it stretched over kind of three or four years. So the main way that jobs are gonna come back is as the vaccines roll out, obviously things like restaurants will reopen and more people will be out and about. But we're also anticipating higher demand with with this much money going out into the economy. People have more money in their pockets to spend and companies have more money to spend again. So you put all that together and that's why it's supposed to be a very hot summer economically speaking.
1: So in some ways, is this bill designed to accomplish Broader domestic policy goals, not just pandemic recovery.
2: That's certainly the argument, and that's why a number of Republicans ultimately decided not to support the bill, even though it's very popular. Is they argued that the country needs to do COVID relief, but a lot of this stuff seems like things that were maybe on the Democrats' wish list for many years, and so doesn't really need to be done as part of a COVID relief package.
0: The Democrats' 1.9 trillion dollar wish list is a bloated, wasteful. Uh, and very partisan bill. And it's really unfortunate at a time when uh, a president who came into office suggesting that he wanted to work with Republicans and, and uh, create solutions in a bipartisan way and try and bring the country together and unify, uh, the first thing out of the gate is a piece of legislation that uh, simply is uh, done with one party rule without con- you know c- consultation with Republicans or consideration of our ideas. One of the things that's very controversial in the bill is there's
2: $350 billion going towards states and cities. There's been a lot of debate about, is that even needed at all? Or that the number should be much, much smaller, even from people who support the overall bill, say that section, for instance, is very puffed up.
1: Is that really the explanation for why, under Trump, Congressional Republicans supported something like the CARES Act? which was also a multi-trillion dollar piece of legislation, yet many have refused to endorse the ARP.
2: It's a great question. Obviously, there's a lot of politics at play here. But from an economic context, the arguments that maybe have some legitimacy are people who say, look, we've already pumped a lot of money into the economy between the CARES Act last year and the December package. And how much more do we really need right now, particularly as the economy does seem to be getting a little bit better and these vaccines do seem to be going out. So what you saw is a lot of centrist Republicans like Mitt Romney of Utah and Susan Collins from Maine, you know, they said, look, they would have supported a package that was a little bit under $1 trillion. But at the end of the day, Democrats said that wasn't good enough. They wanted to go big, and they wanted to make sure that families really felt it this time
1: around. Are people actually going to feel the impact of this bill on their everyday lives?
2: The answer is yes. I think that's why this bill has been hugely popular in the polls, is because people can see that there's something in it for them. What's different this time is, you have over half the money is targeted towards individuals and households. It's not like no money in the bills last year went towards individuals. There were still checks and there was still unemployment insurance. But as a total, it was about a third of the money in prior bills went towards individuals. And then another third went towards businesses. So people sort of felt like, well, all these businesses are getting money. Why aren't you giving the American people more money? This bill changes that strategy. It changes that math. More of the money is getting into the hands of people.
1: On the other end of this, some economists have expressed concern that this much money could really overheat the economy. We're going to have an inflation problem. What does your reporting indicate about the future potential of this bill to cause problems down the line?
2: The basic read on this has been that, yes, there probably will be some inflation, but it's going to be like a short-term sugar high. We might see it this summer. It'll be a, a little bit of a pesky annoyance, but they don't expect it to last, and they don't expect some sort of train wreck scenario. So that's why the belief, certainly from the White House and a lot of Democrats, is... Inflation is a problem we know how to handle. It's been a really, really low for a long time. And even if it goes a bit higher than the 2% a year that we like to see, even if it goes to like 2.5 or 2.7 for a few months, we can live with that. And they don't expect it to be year after year after year of high inflation like what we saw, say, in the 70s.
1: My last question for you is many of the policies that are put in place by this bill also eventually expire, is there any concern about what happens to the Americans who've been aided by this bill when these benefits do expire?
2: This is a massive concern, and particularly for President Biden and the Democratic leaders. Basically, this is a great thing to tout for the next few months, but in March of 2022, it's going to feel like a lot of people's incomes are getting cut suddenly. So when we talk about what does this bill do for low-income people in particular, we're talking about people who earn around $20,000 a year. This bill is giving them, on average, about a $3,600 boost in 2021. And that's why when we talk about getting about a 20% income increase for the lowest income Americans. But yeah, next year, that's going to go away. And there's been a lot of talk at the White House and elsewhere that they want to make programs like this expanded child tax credit permanent, but there is no language in this bill that says that. There is no action now to make that happen. And so it's gonna be a real political and economic battle a year from now. The overall economy's gonna look great, probably stock market will still be doing pretty well, but what happens again to these low-income people, and in particular when we're sitting here a year from now, we'll be on the verge of a midterm election.
1: The impact of this relief bill on low-income Americans matters significantly because it's those people who've been hurt most by the COVID-19 pandemic. Low- and middle-income Americans have lost their jobs disproportionately. The pandemic has exacerbated economic insecurity for those in already precarious financial positions. I wanted to better understand how the American Rescue Plan would help these people specifically, so I turned to an expert.
3: My name is Sophie Collier, and I'm a research director at the Center on Poverty and Social Policy at Columbia University.
1: Sophie explained that the bill aims to help middle and low income Americans in three ways. First, the American
3: Rescue Plan extends unemployment benefits to provide $300 a week through September. And that'll really continue to have a positive impact on families and individuals who are struggling in terms of the labor market right now. Second, the bill includes money for direct federal stimulus payments. These are the $1,400 checks you've been hearing about. Um, So big changes with this round of payments relative to the earlier stimulus payments from March is that older dependents and college-age children are eligible and children are counted at the same level as adults, so you're not kind of getting a different stimulus payment for an adult versus what you're getting for a child. The third way this bill can help low-income families is through the expansion of the child tax credit. It also increases the credit value from $2,000 per child to $3,000 per child for kids ages 6 to 17 and then to $3,600 per year for children under age 6. And it stipulates that that should be delivered monthly, at least for part of the year. A big part is that this monthly distribution of the child tax credit is particularly important because it allows for money to be used regularly as opposed to only coming at one point in time where the existing policies like the earned income tax credit come at tax time. And that will help families keep up with flexible spending that they need. All of these pieces are designed to help many Americans struggling with financial insecurity. Altogether, Sophie explains, the bill could have big implications for poverty rates in our country. Analyses from our center have found that we would see the poverty rate among adults cut by a third and then the poverty rate among children cut by half. So based on the method that a number of experts at our center developed to kind of project the poverty rate in the future, given changes in unemployment, this is what their you know estimates are showing.
1: So it's your assessment then that families will really feel the impacts of this money, that this will be some, a tangible difference for, for many American families?
3: Yeah, I think it definitely will be a tangible difference that people will remember. Many of the policies that
1: we've talked about, though, have an expiration date. Is that a problem? Is this enough money over enough
3: time? So I think we would see kind of benefits immediately from within the year. But then in terms of evaluating the long-term benefits, work from our center has shown that if it were to become permanent, we would see significant positive impacts to society from such an expansion. So it's both that children's health and longevity would be positively impacted, that their future earnings would be positively impacted. And overall, the benefits to society are about eight to one. So I think what we're seeing is positive impact both in the short run, but also made permanent that we'd see long-term societal benefits.
1: This plan, according to Sophie's research, could give a meaningful financial boost to many American families. But will Americans recognize that those changes are a result of the Biden administration's policies? How's the White House planning to sell the stimulus to the public? The Washington Post reported this week that Biden and many Democrats believe the Obama administration made a major mistake by not touting the 2009 stimulus. Democrats believe that bill never received enough recognition for its role in saving and growing the economy. Biden aides have vowed to not let history repeat itself. But that moment and that bill under Obama in 2009, it isn't exactly the same as the American Rescue Plan now under Biden in 2021. Economist Jason Furman knows this because, well, he was there.
0: I'm Jason Furman, and I'm a professor at Harvard University, and I served all eight years in the Obama administration. I started out as deputy director of the National Economic Council and went on to be chair of the Council of Economic Advisors.
1: So how involved were you then in the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 under President Obama?
0: I was his main economic advisor on the campaign, started to put together the ideas for that even before the election. And after the election, that was my main job for the next several months of the transition was helping to put together that plan and negotiate it with Congress.
1: So deeply involved. (laughs)
0: <laughs> deeply involved. I was deeply involved in ARA, for better or worse.
1: Back then, what were the circumstances under which Obama tried to get this done? What were the economic circumstances for our country in 2009?
0: It was a terrible financial crisis. It was getting worse by the day and you know hadn't encountered anything of this scale and severity since the Great Depression.
1: And how does that compare to the economic circumstances we're facing today?
0: Today, things are bad. They're actually similar to what they were at the beginning of 2009. The difference is the trajectory. Then it was getting worse, and now things are getting less bad.
1: How are people feeling these impacts, though? How are the impacts people are feeling today? How do those compare to what they might have felt in 2009?
0: Well, last year in 2020, the unemployment rate got higher than it ever did during the financial crisis. But the level of support was also much higher than it ever was during the financial crisis. And in fact, most unemployed people last year, depending on when they were unemployed, might even end up getting more than they were making on their jobs. In the beginning of 2009, there had been a round of checks that had gone out the year before, but they were a lot smaller. And there was virtually no other assistance people were getting. So you have these cross-currents of here, we've been doing a pretty big policy response already. In some ways, it's been working. It just, to date, hasn't defeated the virus. But hopefully, it's doing that now.
1: Can we talk a little bit about the political climate that we see now versus what we saw in 2009? How do these two moments compare in terms of what each president was facing in passing these recovery bills?
0: In both cases, the president's had... Democratic Congress. I think the two biggest differences are, one, the idea of doing something very large is much more accepted right now. When we came into office, the House Democrats had proposed a $300 billion stimulus plan, and we told them it needed to be much larger than that. This time around, when President Biden came in, the House Democrats had already passed a $3 trillion stimulus plan. And so it was a matter of working with them on that. So people have just gotten used to larger numbers and understand the importance of acting big. I think the other thing is back then when the economy was getting worse by the day, when you had a lagged understanding of the problem, when you formed your understanding of the problem, two weeks later, you were a little bit behind the curve. Here, the economy ended up being less bad than expected in 2020. And so if you're a little bit behind in your understanding, you'll end up being on the large side. And I think that helped make something larger happen this time.
1: So getting something to happen is one piece of it. And then the piece that follows is, of course, selling it to the American public, convincing the American public that the president has done something useful for the people. So... How did the Obama administration handle that back in 2009? How did they message to the people that Obama had put this Recovery Act in place and it was getting money into the hands of Americans?
0: First of all, we tried to explain, you know, here are some of the things you're getting. One thing that people got was week after week, their paychecks went up to many people that wasn't very visible or salient, and so we tried to explain it. But the second, and this was a big communications debate, was how much should we talk about, we called them green shoots. You know, things are terrible, but... You know, there was a job created here. There was a factory that didn't close there. That way you can sell the positive side. But, you know, if people are still suffering, do they want to hear you talk about the green shoots versus talk about their pain? And so that was a difficult dilemma that I think in some ways over the course of eight years, we never quite figured out how to resolve the tension between bragging about a success versus being cognizant of that every success is incomplete and there's still a lot of pain.
1: So do you feel like the messaging around Obama's Recovery Act was successful?
0: I don't think it was that successful, but I think the main thing is because it was a financial crisis. In 2009, our worst days economically were still ahead of us, no matter what you did. That was true in every country that went through a financial crisis. I think the messaging is going to be more successful this time, in part because of the design of the plan. People are getting checks, and that's very tangible. But I think in part because our best days are ahead of us. We're going to start seeing months with... 500,000, maybe a million jobs a month. No, it'll be pretty easy to sell that success.
1: Are there lessons that the Biden administration should really embrace in terms of selling this to the American people or taking credit for this or really having a presence in the lives of Americans and how they're receiving this money? Are there lessons that the Biden administration should take?
0: The first lesson is, if it works, you're going to be able to sell it better. And I think this is going to work. The second is one that Vice President Biden himself felt very strongly back in 2009. I had a conversation with him where I told him a story about a friend who had a nanny, and her nanny, he reduced her withholding because of the Obama tax cut. She thanked him for giving her a raise. She thought her employer gave her a raise. She had no idea that it was a tax credit she was getting from the government. And the vice president, Biden at the time, was really bothered by that and wished that we had sent out checks, almost wished that they had had Obama's name on them so people understood, actually, the government is doing something for you.
1: Right, but it's my understanding that Biden's name won't actually be on the checks that are being sent out this round, right?
0: Correct, and I don't think he literally wanted the names on the checks then, but he certainly wanted people to know that the government had done something for you. And by the way, it's partly political. Obviously, anyone wants to maximize their own popularity and the popularity of their party. But I think you also want to show at a time like this that actually the government can work. The government can do things that are successful. The government can make a difference. Because if you believe in the importance of government policy, it's important that people appreciate the difference that it can make.
1: Do you think that there should be any lessons drawn from President Trump and his administration in the sense that you could argue his administration was better at messaging policies than even making them at times? Are there lessons there?
0: President Trump never agonized over the trade off between bragging about how great things were versus acknowledging the continued suffering that many had. And I don't know. I think I'd rather have somebody that agonizes over that trade off and is bragging about their success, but very, very aware of how many problems there still are that need to be solved.
1: One major difference between 2009 and today between these bills is that people will receive help more quickly. I think the the plan will be set into motion more quickly. Do you see that as something that will help the American people feel the effects of this bill? Yeah, I think
0: to draw a line between this law and your life will be easier than almost any law that's ever been passed. And just, yeah, the speed of the government. I mean, we did checks in 2008. It took three months for the first ones to get out, and a lot of them took four or five months. Now it will probably be days for most people. So the government's also just gotten better at, delivering money. And that's a good thing. It's going to be a useful tool in the future when it's needed again.
1: There's been a criticism among Republicans for years about increasing the deficit. This is something that they have historically been reluctant to do. We saw some of those criticisms lobbed at President Biden even though Republicans themselves have endorsed two bills in the past year that increase the deficit. So can you outline what the concern is over deficit spending here and why it's such a politically divisive issue?
0: And I think the sincere difference is a lot of Republicans objected to a large stimulus in July when— President Trump was still president and facing election. So I think some of this actually is, you know, honest differences of opinion. I think there's certainly a bunch of hypocrisy on all sides, too. The issue right now is our debt is about to be higher than it's ever been relative to the size of our economy. It grew a lot to fight World War II, and then it went down sharply after the war. Now, after growing, it looks like it's rising. That's the reason some people are concerned. I tend to look at interest rates and how much debt service we're paying and we're actually not paying a lot of cost in order to have this debt. And so that leaves me relatively unworried about where we are right now.
1: So you don't share some of the concerns about overheating the economy and that leads to inflation?
0: Overheating in part is how much you're doing all in one year. If I had been designing it from scratch. I would have done less in 2021 and spread more of the money into 2022 and 2023. I think that would have reduced some of the huge jolt to the economy and instead just made it a large jolt to the economy. And I think a large jolt would have been sufficient. So I think there is some risk of inflation this year above what we'd like to have. And the reason you worry, by the way, is not that inflation is so terrible, but to get rid of it, the Fed often creates a recession and those are terrible. So I think the some risk of that, but I think we'll hopefully avoid it.
1: All right. My last question for you. What is your insight into where this bill leaves the country a year from now? Will it have helped enough people? Will it have driven our economy totally out of whack? Where are we in a year?
0: The United States is going to be in better shape economically at the end of this year than any other rich country in the world. That'll be true by a large margin. By 2022, you'll look around the U.S. economy And it won't look that different than it would have looked if the pandemic never happened. So rescue is the word in the title of this. I think it's going to be successful at that. But definitely, and it doesn't pretend to be something that's going to put us on a better trajectory than we were on before the pandemic. And there were a lot of challenges with inequality, inadequate income growth and the like before the pandemic that still need to be addressed.
1: All right, Jason, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Charla Freeland, with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon.
3: There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live—